First Thessalonians chapter 5. Turn there, please. First Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're probably not expecting to hear a message from this verse that I'm going to preach on tonight. But I want you to know that I'm preaching what God laid on my heart, but I'm also preaching what I need. And I I hope you know this. Every preacher preaches what God preaches to them, what God encourages them with. And this is why we can get so passionate and so excited about the truth of God. And I just want you to know that we're all in need of this message tonight. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. And I told you, you're not expecting this message because it's not even November yet. It's not Thanksgiving time. And look what the verse says. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And so as we've been singing about all, all these songs and all this truth about how that God knows what he's doing and how that God is guiding and leading our lives, so why is it that we, we are such complaining people? Why is it that we are so bitter and we are so upset and we live with a bad attitude when we know that God is in control? You know, as I have crisscrossed the country, I have come to the realization that there are many Christians who simply need an attitude adjustment. Maybe you're one of those Christians tonight. You need an attitude adjustment, and one of those parts that needs to be a part of our attitude is the attitude of gratitude. And and you're going to see what I saw as I studied every New Testament text on the subject of Thanksgiving you're going to see that this is a major issue. This is something that is in the will of God for our lives. As the verse says, this is God's will. You know, there are very few places in the Bible where where God actually tells us, this is my will for you. This is one of those verses, but there's another one in the same book of the Bible. Look at chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Isn't it interesting to think that we hear lots of preaching about the sins of the flesh, sins of the body, sins of immorality, sins of impurity. And frankly, we should hear a lot of preaching on that, shouldn't we? Because the world is full of sinfulness and sensuality and unholiness. So we hear lots of preaching on the sins of the body, sins of the flesh, But we hear very little talk and very little teaching on the sins of the heart, the sins of the spirit. David said, create in me a a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And folks, I have to tell you tonight that many times the sins that are breaking relationships, destroying homes, and splitting and dividing churches, many times they're not the sins of the flesh. They're sins of the spirit. They're sins of bitterness and anger and complaining and griping. And, and, and people sometimes are full of the sins of the Spirit. So I, I know that I'm looking at a lot of people here tonight that at least externally it looks like things are going fairly well. But the question is, what's going on in the heart? For out of the heart are all the issues of life. Proverbs 4.23 says, Is there a root of bitterness in your heart? Is there a complaining, griping, angry spirit? 
in your heart? If that is the case, you are not in the center of God's will because he says God's will is that in everything we would give thanks. How is this possible? I mean, that we could in everything give thanks. Well, in order to understand this, we have to talk about the word thanks. The word thanks is the same Greek word for grace. It's the Greek word charis. So when God grants charis, it's translated grace. When we give charis, it's translated thanks or thanksgiving, eucharist, thanksgiving. So thanksgiving is simply this. Giving thanks is simply responding to God's grace. All right, simple question tonight. And I hope you know the answer to this question. I hope you recognize it. Has God been gracious to you? I'm glad I heard a lot of yeses. I'm glad I heard a lot of amens. I'm glad I saw a lot of people going like this. I hope that you realize even the day that you live, the, the breath that you breathe uh, today is a gift of God's grace. Aren't you thankful for life? And most importantly, we can give God praise and thanks because he has been gracious not only to give us life, but give us eternal life. Salvation is a gift of God's grace. And here's the point. Don't ever ask God to give you what you deserve. That wouldn't be wise. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what we can clearly say tonight is, everything in life is better than what we deserve. Right? Everything in life is better than what we deserve. And this is why we can say, or that under inspiration the writer can say, in everything, give thanks, because everything's better than what we deserve. Even the troubles and trials of life are better than going to hell. We have God's grace. So we want to focus tonight on this, this attitude of gratitude, and we want to ask ourselves this question. Am I living with a thankful spirit? You know, I, I really think that this is a problem in most churches. People are living with a depressed, sad, gloomy, downtrodden, complaining attitude. And yet we as believers ought to have a smile on our face. We ought to have a spring in our step. We ought to have the joy of the Lord in our life. We ought to have this spirit of thanksgiving. If you agree with me, say amen. And I love being around people that you just know they're experiencing the joy of the Lord. That's important. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this this theology of thanksgiving that's the title of the message the theology of thanksgiving because systematic theology is when you walk through the scriptures and you find out what the bible says about that that issue in many different places and so what we're going to do is a systematic theological study on the subject of being thankful the theology of thanksgiving so let's turn first of all to hebrews chapter 13 hebrews chapter 13 and let's answer four questions tonight about being thankful. The first question that we need to answer from Hebrews 13 is we need to answer this question, why? Why should we be thankful? You say, well, that's easy. God commands it. We just read the verse. Yes, that's true. But there is a very powerful motivation. There's a good reason why every one of us should be thankful. Look what the verse says in Hebrews 13, verse 15. Hebrews 13, verse 15. It says, by him, well, let's summarize, because of Jesus is the idea here. Because of Jesus, if you 
read the context here is clearly talking about Jesus Christ. So we can insert Jesus Christ here because of Jesus Christ. Therefore, let us offer a sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Now, I didn't necessarily plan it this way, but Sunday morning I preached a message on sacrificing with our lives. Remember that? That we present our lives, we present our bodies a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 tells us. So we should be fully yielded and fully surrendered in our bodies, in our life. But not only can you sacrifice with your life, but you can also sacrifice with your lips. You know, I really believe this is the case. That when we as believers go through difficulty, and instead of getting angry and bitter and shaking our fist at God, when we go through difficulties and and troubling relationships and, and difficult situations, instead we turn our gaze on the Lord and we praise Him and we say, God, we may not know what you're doing, but we lift you up. We want you to be glorified. When we do that, we are literally saying this, Lord, if you're good enough to save me, you're good enough to keep me. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Which means every time we get bitter and angry, it's because our eyes are on our circumstances and they are definitely not on the cross. You see, I really believe if we will get our eyes off of our circumstances and back on the cross and back on what Jesus has done, we would realize that God has done something powerful for us. He has saved us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he tells us that this is the sacrifice that we give. A continual praise. A continual giving of thanks. And it's significant throughout the New Testament to notice that there are several passages of Scripture that actually tell us specifically what we're to thank God for. What are we to thank God for through Jesus Christ? These are specific theological truths that happened the moment we got saved Because of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have time to turn to these, but let me just help you maybe jot these references down, okay? Romans 6, verse 17. This is the first place that we could turn and we could find that we're supposed to praise God and thank God for something Jesus did for us. It says, giving thanks unto the Father who has caused us to be redeemed through the blood of Christ. All right, so this is what we tell, what, what the scripture is teaching. That because of redemption in Christ, we should give God thanksgiving. Thank the Lord that you are a child of the King. That you are redeemed from the service of sin and you are adopted into his family. And now you are been made the servant of righteousness. So, because we obeyed that form of doctrine and we've been delivered by the power of Jesus Christ, there should be no reason for us to ever complain. Why would we complain when we have been redeemed? Like the songwriter said, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You know, you can have a a rough day, you can have a trying time, as long as you know that your, your name is in God's book. As long as you know you're on your way to heaven, you have been redeemed. Which means, if you're here tonight and you have never been saved, you're missing out on this. You can be saved. You can be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57 is the second verse I want to refer you to. It says, giving thanks to the Lord, thanks be to God, for what? Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, once again, we're supposed to thank God for something Jesus has done. What has he done? He's given us victory. Victory over death. This is the context of 1 Corinthians 15. Yes, we do have victory over sin, but specifically here it's victory over death. And here's the glorious truth from this text. That if you're a child of God, you don't fear death. Isn't that a blessing? You know, if you are unsaved, you really ought to fear death. Because death for you is not only the first death when your soul leaves your body, but death for you is the second death also when your soul is separated from God. So if you are not a child of God, you ought to fear death. But for those of us who are saved, we've been washing the blood of the Lamb. Death for us is absent from the body and present with the Lord. Now, we don't want to die. We're not hoping to die. We hope we have a long life. But this is why the Bible says, blessed in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. What a, what a triumph it is to leave this old world and go to be with God. Isn't, isn't that actually the day that we are living for? Think about that. That is actually the day that we are living for, the day that we meet God, which either comes through our death or through the rapture. But if you are a child of God, praise God, you have victory over death because of Jesus Christ. And then there's Colossians 1, verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. All right, once again, we're thanking God for something Jesus did. And he, what did he do? He made us a part of his inheritance. And our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. I'd rather be in his inheritance than Bill Gates' inheritance. And when you're a part of God's inheritance, you are an heir. You are a child of the king. And a part of that is heaven. And let me just tell you, there's only one reason we'll ever walk the streets of gold. There's only one reason we'll ever be with God forever. And it's because God has been gracious to us. How can we complain when Jesus paid it all? That's the point. How can we gripe and complain and get bitter and angry? If he's good enough to save us, he's good enough to keep us. Don't you see that we're not talking about a self-help message? Just go out and put a smile on your face and do better and have a better attitude. You might find that being taught at other churches, but not at this church. This is not a self-help message. Just kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and be a different person and change your spirit and change your attitude. We are talking about believers who have a deep understanding of who they are in Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Believers who can face the trials and face the tough relationships and face the issues of life because their eyes are on Jesus. They know in whom they have believed. Why should I be thankful? The fellowship with Jesus Christ demands a thankful spirit. I believe this is the proper motivation which will guide us to being thankful in everything. It's that our eyes are on the cross, not on our circumstances. But that brings me to the second question. We need to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Would you turn there, please? Ephesians chapter 5, because right now somebody might be thinking, literally, you might be thinking this. That guy up there, that preacher, has no idea what I'm going through. Man, if he only knew, I have every reason to complain. And I want to say to you, you know what? If you are thinking that, you are absolutely right. I mean, I'm just here for a few days, and I haven't had the time to get to know everybody. 
And uh, I really don't know. I don't know what you're going through. But I do want to say this as well. You don't know what I'm going through either. And, and so the issue is not the circumstance. Are you following me? The issue is not what we face. The issue is the response to what we face. And this makes all the difference in the world. And it brings us to this second question. How is this even possible? How can I be thankful? Number one, why, can, why should I be thankful? Number two, how can I be thankful? And there's a very specific answer given to us in Ephesians 5 verse 18 where the Bible says this, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And then notice what happens when we, are, when we are filled with the Spirit. He gives three verses of participles which are linked to verse 18. We know they're participles. Sorry to bring up English here. But we know they're participles because they end in I-N-G. Verse 19 is the first participle phrase. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? The Bible actually tells us here that the first response or result of being filled with the Spirit is that it radically changes your music. Now, we may not agree perfectly on this, but we ought to know what we believe. We ought to put it into our lives. We ought to make sure we're worshiping God properly with the right kind of music. Because it's an expression of the Spirit-filled life. But notice verse 20, because this brings us to what we're talking about tonight. Giving thanks always for all things. Boy, it kind of sounds like 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third one is submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. All right, so it is absolutely clear. In the original language and the English language in this text, that verse 20, which is talking about the theme that we're talking about tonight, giving thanks, is directly linked up with the command of verse 18. What's the command? It's a present active command, which means it doesn't happen just one time, it happens continually. We could say it this way be continually being filled the word filled has the idea of being controlled be continually being controlled by the holy spirit now the bible teaches us that the indwelling of the spirit happens how many times i'm giving you a hint here once the indwelling of the spirit happens only once when does the indwelling of the spirit happen when we get saved, which means you don't have to walk up on a platform and be hit on the forehead by an evangelist and get dropped over to get the full blessing of the Spirit. The second blessing. Listen, when you got saved, you got the whole blessing. You got the whole blessing. He is in you. If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God makes your body his home. Your, he, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So if you're a Christian tonight, the question is not whether the Spirit is in you. Aren't you thankful He's in you? Comforts you, chastens you, encourages you, convicts you. So the question, if, if you're a believer, is not whether He's in you. The question is this. Are you submitting to the Holy Spirit? And we know we, whether we are submitting to the Holy Spirit by the results that come out of our life. 
So if you are a thankful person, it is an expression of the spirit-controlled life. So the obvious answer is, how can I be thankful? I got to be filled with the spirit. You need to be walking in the spirit so you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see, what's coming out of someone is what's already inside of them. What's coming out is what's already there. It's kind of like when I used to go to school, my dad would take a cup of coffee, a mug of coffee. And it was not a travel mug. Some of you have this special talent too. You can drink a cup of coffee without a lid on top of it. You have shock absorbers in your arm. Go over all the bumps while you're driving. One arm on the wheel, one hand on the wheel, one hand on your coffee mug. That's how my dad was. I mean, it, it was pretty impressive. And I remember every once in a while, while we would be going to school, my dad would hit a pothole. And I know here in Indiana, you know what potholes are, right? And every once in a while, my dad would hit a bump or a speed bump or a, he'd have to swerve because somebody shot out in front of us. And I actually remember times when dad would have to pull over to the side because he spilled his coffee all over his suit. And of course, it was hot coffee. And man, he was jumping, get over there and get out and brush it off. I remember times that that would happen. Now, this is not a hard question. What would spill out of the coffee mug? Can you please answer for me? Uh, show me you're with me. Okay, that was a very simple question, right? The point, the point is this. If we can get a little bit more philosophical here, we could say it this way. What was spilling out? Whatever filled the cup spilled out of the cup. So if my dad is drinking coffee, he's never going to spill water. If my dad is drinking water, he's never going to spill coffee. You see the illustration, right? Why is it that there are some people, and it doesn't matter what they go through, it always seems like they're trying to direct people to God. Whatever is in them is coming out. And then there's the other kind of people, right? Have you ever been around these people? It's like nothing ever pleases them. They're never happy. They're always complaining. They're always griping. It just seems like they just live with a continual contention and a continual bitterness of their spirit. Why do you think that's the case? Well, whatever's filling them is it's just coming out. You see, what, the way we respond on the outside is what's already in the inside. We need to walk in the spirit. So this begs the question, obvious question. How can we be filled with the spirit? How do we walk in the Spirit? Well, there's a, there's a parallel passage to Ephesians 5, and it's Colossians 3. Colossians 3.16 is the, is the key verse that is a parallel passage. I do not believe it is a mystical, magical thing to be filled with the Spirit. In order to be filled with the Spirit, Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you, richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And you'll notice the same results happen. It changes your music, it changes your attitude, and it changes your submission to each other in the church. It's a parallel passage. Paul says it to a different group of people, and he says it a different way. He says to the Ephesians, uh, be filled with the Spirit. He says to the Colossians, dwell in the Word of God. You know what I think? They both mean the same thing. You know how you can walk in the Spirit? Make the Word of God your dwelling place. You know, this is probably the significant problem that we experience. Because most people treat the Bible like a visitation, not a habitation. 
there's a big difference. For example, something terrible happens in our lives. All of a sudden, we hit a pothole, like I was expressing. Something comes that we weren't expecting. And at that very moment, when a trial comes in our life, everybody's like, oh, i got to run to the Bible. i got to find a verse. Now, I'm just trying to help us tonight. The bottom line is, we ought to already know the verse. We ought to already know enough about God that stabilizes us in those times. I'm not negating the fact that there are specific references we can run to, but my point is this. We ought to already know what the Bible says so that when the trial happens, we are resting and trusting in a good and gracious God who has revealed himself to us. We don't take our theology about God. We don't take the truth of the Bible and just throw it on the floor when a trial happens. We walk in the Spirit. And actually, if you are dwelling in the Word of God, you will know what the Bible says about trials. What does the Bible say about trying difficult times? There's a lot to say about this. There's an entire book in the Old Testament called the book of Job. Have you ever read through it? Don't tell me you had a bad day. Job had a bad day. Why is the book of Job in the Bible? It's part of what we call the wisdom books. Wisdom is knowing how to respond to life from God's point of view, understanding how to make wise decisions when things are happening all around you. So the wisdom book of Job basically teaches us how to make good decisions when we don't understand what God is doing. What an amazing book. It's interesting that Job asks some questions, but at the end of the book, who was the one asking the questions? God was. Incredible book to read. You know what? We need to dwell in the Word of God. What about James chapter 1? The trying of our faith works patience. So let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, literally complete. Perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Maybe we could say it this way. Trials plus or equals patience, which equals Christ-likeness, which is really good. So we could say, trials are actually good. You know what the world calls bad things? God looks at as a way to burn off the dross and make us better servants. So you'll never, ever respond right in the difficulties if you don't know what the Bible says. And if you're not trusting God's word And I'm telling you, there's nothing that will stabilize us more than the truth of God. This is how we dwell in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. We fill ourselves up with the Word of God, and we submit ourselves to God's Word. How can I be thankful? I have to be filled with the Spirit. Well, we we better hurry, because you may not be thankful for this message if I don't hurry up. Romans chapter 1, okay? Romans chapter 1, and let's go to question number 3. Question number 3, why should I be thankful? Because of Jesus Christ. It's obvious. If he's good enough to save us, he's good enough to keep us. Question number two, how can I be thankful? I must be filled with the Spirit. Question number three, what should we be thankful for? Well, the verse tells us in everything, because everything's better than what we deserve. But I want to talk about something very pointed and very specific that we all struggle with. Now, I'm sure you would admit this, and I hope you would humbly admit We all struggle with complaining about other people. Can I get an amen? We struggle with this, right? Now, 
I'm sure that probably everyone in this room has certain people that you battle with responding right to and thinking rightly about those people. And yet what I want to show you is that one of the very specific areas that we are to be thankful for are faithful people that God has put into our life. Now, I'm sure you've noticed this, that we tend to be very critical and complaining and critiquing of other people. We compare ourselves among ourselves, which is not wise. We try to pull people down in our thoughts and sometimes even in our words so that we can lift ourselves up. And yet the Bible says we need to recognize the grace of God to give us so many wonderful people to be around. And there's great application here. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But let's let's look at the text of Scripture to see how this shows up. I I found that there was a man in the New Testament who was very thankful. You know what his name is? Paul, the apostle who wrote for us many epistles. And in every one of them, Every one of them, he shared a word of thanksgiving. This is, this is so encouraging. He was not a proud, arrogant preacher walking around thinking the world owed him a living. He actually realized God was gracious to him. Everywhere he went, he was sharing a word of thanksgiving. He had the joy of the Lord in his life. Romans chapter 1, verse 8, look what it says. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. He told them thank you. You know what I think? I think if it's in your heart, you ought to write it down. You ought to pass it to someone. You ever heard of a thank you note? You know, I know that with emailing and texting and tweeting and Facebook messaging, there's no shortage of communication. But it's still good every once in a while to use the snail mail. You know what I'm saying? Or even better, just write a thank you note. Handwritten. Pass it to somebody. Wow. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Paul told the Roman church, thank you. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Would you agree that if there was anybody he could have complained about, it would have been the Corinthian church? Here he had spent time with them, he had invested in them, and they were still carnal, and they were still arguing, and they still had division. It would have been real easy for him in a proud, arrogant way to walk in there or write this letter and just confront them in that, in an angry, bitter spirit. What I am not saying is that we just, let's just all love everybody and never deal with any problems. That's definitely not what I'm saying. Because Paul dealt with their problems, didn't he? Clearly, he confronted their problems. Here's what I'm saying. Even when we have the precious privilege of helping people in their problems, which I hope you are doing this. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. We are supposed to be looking to help people in their sinfulness, in their troubles and trials, restoring them to usefulness. But we do it with a spirit of meekness. Considering ourselves, Galatians says, lest we also be tempted. And so this is what we see Paul doing. He is confronting them boldly, courageously, and he's doing it under inspiration, and yet notice the attitude he has. He still has an attitude of gratitude. Chapter 1, verse 4. I thank my God always on your behalf. Really? Even the Corinthians? He was thankful, and he wrote it down, and he sent it to them. Turn over to Philippians chapter 1. I love this text. 
I think of so many people when I read this text. This verse reminds me of so many people in my life, people that are living still, some that have passed on, people that have impacted my life in such a great way. And this is what I think about them. Philippians 1, verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Are you thinking of someone? Somebody that's around you now, somebody that's maybe impacted your life in the past. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's somebody that discipled you. How often we forget the good hand of God on our life by graciously putting people in our lives. So how does this apply? Well, the application could really go on all night because this is a church full of faithful people. This is a body of believers where people are sacrificing. People are laying it all out on the line for the sake of the gospel. And what we ought to be doing is we ought to be opening our eyes and seeing the people that deserve to be thanked. Do you realize that ministry is a thankless task? Lots of things are going on at Southeast Baptist Tabernacle that nobody even notices. But when we do notice it, we surely should rejoice in it. We surely should tell those people thank you. So let's just apply this a little bit. Should we ever tell the nursery workers thank you? I think they definitely need to be thanked, especially during the evangelistic meetings. You know what I'm saying? Should we ever tell the choir members thank you? Yes. Should we ever tell the instrumentalists thank you? Do you realize that they are using their gifts, these musicians are using their gifts to serve the Lord. This is not a performance. This is a ministry on the platform. What about the ushers? What about the greeters? What about the people who clean the building and those who mow the grass and those who are helping around in the facilities? What about the sound man? Thank you, guys. Appreciate it back there. And surely you ought to tell your pastors thank you. They did not pay me to say that, okay? Did you, pastor? You slip it later, okay, yeah. Listen, I, I grew up in a pastor's family. I know how it goes. If there's a problem at the church, it's always the pastor's fault. And you know what? Little ears are listening. If, you're, if you are complaining and criticizing and critiquing your pastor every Sunday, little ears are listening. Don't be surprised when your children start complaining and critiquing you. Because he is the authority, God's shepherd for this body. And God has blessed you not only with a great pastor, but a great assistant pastor as well. These men, I can tell you right now, they love God. They are serving the Lord faithfully here. You know what? Every once in a while, I really mean this. I really think it would be just a great thing for you to do. Every once in a while, send them an email or a text or a thank you note. And just tell them thank you. Couldn't we go on and on and on? God has blessed us with so many faithful people. Maybe you're thinking of somebody in your past. Go home, find them on Facebook, send them a message, say, I just want you to know you touched my life and I haven't forgotten it. Thank you. Okay, now let's just be honest. How many of you like it when someone does that to you? They actually tell you thank you. They show appreciation to you. How many of you like that? If you do, raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, either you just don't like to raise your hand or you're lying. Everyone appreciates someone sharing appreciation with them. And all I'm saying is, let's stop walking into church looking for all the people that bother us. Well, let me tell you about that guy. Huh. 
And instead, we should be walking in the church like Barnabas, son of consolation, an encourager. We ought to be looking for people. That say, hey, I just want you to know, I noticed what you just did. Thanks so much. Put a smile on your face and say a word of thanksgiving to someone. And I'll tell you what, the spirit of a congregation could totally change if we would just have an attitude of gratitude and realize, wow, this is a great church with all these great people. God has blessed us. Has he blessed you here at this church? Then find somebody, maybe even tonight, and tell them thank you. One final question. Go back to Romans chapter 1 for our final verse. Romans chapter 1, and the final question is, is obvious. Why are we not thankful? Have you ever thought about this? If it is so clear in the scripture, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God, then why is it that we struggle with this not only every day, but almost every hour of every day? Why is this so hard? And I, and I hope what I'm about to say is not like a new revelation to you. We are selfish sinners. If you agree with me, say amen. We are selfish sinners. We want our own way. And in Romans chapter 1, Paul is describing this group of people who worship themselves. You know, let's be careful that we don't just go to Romans 1 and say, well, there's American culture right there. It does kind of look like that, right? And there's application for the society at large, the civilizations that suppress the truth of God and exchange the truth of God. But let's not forget that though we are not humanists, we, we would not say that we worship ourselves. I hope none of us would say that. We do not say that we worship ourselves, but frankly, sometimes we live like we worship ourselves. And you know, when we worship ourselves or when we live like we worship ourselves, it's when we're unthankful. Romans 1, verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, Look what it says, neither were thankful. You see, pride is the ultimate sin which will slay a thankful spirit. A humble heart is the ground which thanksgiving grows from. You see, a proud person always thinks they deserve better. They always think, man, this should not be happening to me. It's just pride. What do we all deserve? We deserve the same thing. And so when we get proud and we want our own way, and we don't even recognize that God is good and he's leading and he's guiding. He is taking all of these circumstances to make a beautiful picture, a beautiful story in our life. We don't even recognize that. In essence, we are taking our fists and saying, God, you're messing up. You are messing up. You are messing up my life. And I tell you tonight, by the authority of the Scripture, God will never mess up your life. He loves you. He has sent His Son to die for you. And this is why we live by faith instead of by sight. Sometimes it appears like things are not right, but then years later we look back and we see how God was weaving and, and guiding and doing everything for our good. And we know that all things work together for what? Good. To them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Folks, I believe this is a very important matter. Can you tell that I believe that? Scripturally, I think this is a very important matter because when we gripe and complain and get angry and we get bitter, it is assaulting the sovereignty of God. 
It is saying, God, you've lost control. You don't know what you're doing. And God deserves better than that. God does know. He is sovereign. He is guiding. Let's live our lives praising him instead of praising ourselves. So what do we need to do? If the answer to this is that we are selfish sinners, then that means when we have an attitude that is bitter and angry and griping and complaining, it is a sin against God. And it is no small sin because there's no small sin to God. You say, well, you know, everybody complains. You know what? If we understand what the Bible is saying, when we complain, we should get on our knees and confess it to the Lord. Because it says, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God. Maybe we could say it like the song says it. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. So the truth tonight is we can either leave in the center of God's will or we can continue to go our own way and act like we're in charge when we're not. Will you do God's will tonight? Will you let God change your attitude? If you're here tonight, you've never been saved. The first step for you is to be redeemed, to have victory over death, to be a part of God's inheritance. You need to get saved. You need to trust in Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, and I hope God has convicted you about the spirit that is inside of you, the attitude that you have. Maybe we ought to come tonight and we ought to just get on our knees and say, God, I've been living in sin in my spirit. I've griped. I've been complaining. I've been bitter. Maybe there's even a person you'll need to go back to. You need to confess what you have said and what you have done and the spirit you have had to that person. I really believe this is the kind of message that we need that can change the spirit of our life and the spirit of relationships. And I hope it will help and encourage us tonight to walk in the center of God's will. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?